Welcome to We're All Gonna Die and Other Fun Facts, a semi-regular, occasionally amusing, and rarely funny series of conversations on a random topic. This episode was going to be entitled Just Brooke, but maybe it should be now entitled Just Brooke. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. And (laughs) And it's about noise, the death of Charlie Watts, and the life and works of Mr. Brooke Pridemore. And our guest for this episode is someone who knows something about the life and works of Mr. Brooke Pridemore, Mr. Brooke Pridemore. Hello. Hey, anyway, here's, here's a conversation about Wonderwall. Yeah. uh, So we were just talking about how, um, you know, we're in a post Wonderwall world that young people were saying, Oh, the, you know, the last great. So, you know, the whole anyway, here's Wonderwall, that whole meme. Um, I think Wonderwall is an objectively good song. It it brings it calls to mind memories of being, you know, like a, a teenage virgin and feeling emotions about girls for the first mm. time, genuinely feeling emotions about girls and also but but also like not having you know concrete uh uh feelings you know like you know the abstract and so when you read the lyrics of when you look at the lyric sheet of wonderwall it's nonsense right it's 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 catchy nonsense but there it doesn't really mean anything and so it's perfect for someone who you know i i imagine you know it's a little bit like the the line i'm drawing is you know the langley school's music project the uh the that guy out in canada who taught music and there's like a a six-year-old girl on that record who sings desperado and she doesn't understand the emotions in Desperado. She just understands that it's a sad song, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's a, there's a line to be drawn between that and Wonderwall for me because, you know, I didn't have real heartbreak in my life in 1995, but, you know, I understood what it was like to like somebody and not have them like you back. You know, I understood what it was like to go to a, you know, there were 900 kids in my high school. There were 900 kids total in my high school. And so there were lots and lots of people, you know, it's a, it seemed like, it seemed like a lot of people. And in, in hindsight, I probably know 900 people now, but, uh, you know, it was my whole world. And so if, you know, you know, it was easy to think that there were no other fish in the sea besides, you know, whatever her name was, you know, I I mean, I, she'll never hear this, but I'm not going to say their name. Um, But, uh, you know, so I I think about that a lot because, you know, a lot of what we're, a lot of what we're experiencing now with, with music is, you know, the, the, the nostalgia now, not for the music, you know, I think like, let's just use Backman Turner Overdrive as an example. Backman Turner Overdrive, there's no memory about them. They toured until 2018. 
and then they stopped touring you know and so they were out there doing the nostalgia circuit which for them meant they went out they did an hour set in which they played you ain't seen nothing yet and taking care of business and they did it every night and people went and saw them because they knew it was a good band that you know trustworthy and with you know a couple of solid gold motherfucking hits in them and now and this is not really even me complaining this is just observation um nostalgia has taken on this thing the the africa thing was a a a perfect example the toto thing i remember having hearing of toto because i i had a wayne's world book that was a tie-in to the first movie and and in the list it, it was a bunch of lists and funny things from that they probably wrote mike myers probably wrote but um one thing was like top 10 party killing songs top 10 songs that would kill any party and it was like any any disco you know uh anything by winger and then the last one was any toto song And so in like 1992, my knowledge of Toto was this band sucks. The whole, I I could talk all day about, you know, in my house, when I discovered nineties hip hop, my, my parents, this isn't music. This is just disco. Disco suck. Time. I was like, suck. There's a whole other thing about us growing up. Um, that's a whole other story. Yeah. But I grew up going, Toto sucks. I started to hear it of my own very long time ago now and going, oh, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing objectively wrong with Africa by Toto. Oh, well. And actually, ooh, you might be frozen a little bit, but I, I just want to fill in like there is a thing about the, the world that's different between the world of Toto, the world that birthed or that Toto by Africa was birthed into and the world that Wonderwall was birthed into. And that was the world of, of monoculture. That was the world of top 40 radio or later the clear channel takeover of top 40 radio and of MTV. And I guess for me, like I was, I will say I'm still a little bit of a, a hater of both of those songs, though I accept more Wonderwall than Africa. Um, I think if I had heard those songs for my entire life 20 times, I think they'd be really good songs. I would enjoy them. But I think there were times in the 80s and 90s where I was addicted to radio and addicted to music and addicted to sound that I heard those songs maybe 20 times in a week. And that that is I think that's that's something that's, I think, a little different that I think especially younger people don't quite grasp. Right. We used to when the this I, you, I'm sure you remember the silver chair song tomorrow. Yes. Um, the, in in that same summer as Wonderwall, where it's and if if that song, if that Silver Chair song came on the radio, 
we would flip through the stations and count the stations that were playing them at the same time. And so, you know, what we all, you know, it was just like, wow, four stations. That was a record for one. Um, and so, you know, just thinking about the monoculture, it's funny, you know, kind of, kind of a while ago now on my first European tour, I heard uh, rumors, the Fleetwood Mac album rumors for the first time. And, and I got really into it. It's an incredible album. It has eight singles on it. Mm-hmm. What a great, what a great thing. Like there's a reason certain things sell 25 million copies, however many copies rumors. 40, I think. See, you know, I, I told my dad that I was really into rumors and my dad was like, why would you ever need to hear anything off that album ever again? Because, yeah. because of the monoculture, you know, because of that it was ubiquitous and, you know, and, and so, but what kind of, what kind of grinds me pretty hard is, you know, when, when All Star was the meme song, you know, when, mm-hmm. when and Toto Africa at the same time, and, you know, and the anyway, here's Wonderwall joke at the same time, you know, I, it, that you me was, you know, really kind of like trying to needle me into covering one of those songs. And it wasn't because he's a, you know, a, a bad person, you know, or he just thought it would be funny if I covered one of those songs. Uh, I remember actually not joking. What would it take Brooke, to get you to cover, uh, to cover all-star in concert? And I said, $200 million cash. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I would give 150 I would, you know, and I would never charge a dime to see me play again after that, you know, but that's what it would cost. That's just how gross, but, but like, no, I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to go out and sing my Patreon show. I have a final theme song because somebody, somebody requested Africa and I'm like, it's a really hard song to play. Technically a really hard song to play. And I had to stop and I was like, no more meme songs. Like, um, and I think that that really came to a, a you know, really the, the final stage of that was, was Weezer recording an unironic cover of, of Africa and then recording a whole album of, un, you know, unironic songs like un, unironic of mass pops that that album that just like who is that for you know and, and weezer's even i don't know if you've heard it weezer just covered enter sandman um, yes i did hear it and, and i you know good for you guys and like and like, okay you're gonna make 10 million or whatever you're gonna make what money's not real anyway you're gonna make whatever off of that um and it was kind of cute that Weezer put that little joke in the guitar solo, that little nod back to Buddy Holly in the guitar mm-hmm. solo. Um, but like, damn, dude, like for the, the, the thousands of dollars you spent recording that stupid cover, you know, there are 
I know all these bands. There are these bands, these, you know, all the underground bands dying on the line, you know, because you got to work three jobs, you know, to sustain yourself and put your shit on the road. And we're going to run out of bands, you know. What's going to happen to the nostalgia era for the Weezer cover of Enter Sandman? When's that era come? And the circle's getting smaller and smaller. So, like... Yeah, I will say, and that was a thing that really struck me about um, what started this conversation before I started recording was um, I do an icebreaker on the first Monday was the first day of class classes and I do an icebreaker and it was what's the last good song you heard. And for the last few years, I mean, so this is how this has changed over time, because this is my 16th year in the college classroom. The first few years I did it, people would name something. I've been doing this for a long time. I used to do a top five exercise like High Fidelity. And then that was actually pre-writing for the first paper they wrote where they had to write a review of something that they liked. Um, People would name five things that they were really into. And other people in the room would go, wow, that's yeah, I love that, too. And that's on my list, too. And, you know, and it was immediate bonding with a room full of strangers over culture, which was on purpose. And then there was about a 10 year period where everybody was into like, you could just tell like people would say names of bands or songs and then no one else knew what the hell it was, what they were talking about. And so you had a room full of 20 strangers And now in the last few years, yeah, this nostalgia era. So, yeah, I got uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Fleetwood Mac, um, Joan Jett, like all of this like 70s, 80s and a little bit of 90s. I mean, there were people who were into things that were new and the things that I hadn't heard of that was of their culture, but. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, you're right about this running out of bands thing or this. um, And isn't that what we're doing? Right. I mean, this this is part of my whenever people talk about, you know, our political paralysis or our political nightmare or whatever. I always say that, you know, part of the anxiety of this moment is that the 20th century is dying and is dying right before us. And whether, you know, we're you have that great song called Charlie Watts that I shared the other day because Charlie Watts passed away. And whether that's really cool people who did cool things in the 20th century or are passing away, but maybe also 20th century ways of living that as Americans, we see as our ideal way of, of living. Um, I think is that all of that? I think all of that's going away in real time, right in front of our faces. And not even, not even just because of the pandemic. Yeah. Look at, look at the top tier alternative rock bands from the 1990s. You know, from the whole decade. The toppest tier of all of those bands, uh, mm. all of those guys are dead. All of those guys are dead except Eddie Vedder. Yeah. And think about that number. I mean, like, and so this, 
this thing, you know, I, I came of age where, and, and I, I think sometimes I see some of this stuff coming back around. I think Miley Cyrus does a good job of, of this stuff where, where rock bands that they had a, a morality that they had to, to stand up for, you know, had them and they had to use their, their platform to, per, to push the issues that they thought were important. Pearl Jam not touring tears behind their fan because of the Ticketmaster thing is the big one that comes to mind. Yeah. You know, but, but, you know, the music of the era being, you know, on the surface to me, um, really about um, something other than like pussy. Uh, yeah, you know, the '80s was just all about you know the '80s hard rock was all just about the dumbest stuff, and you know, but like look at you know look at those guys they're all dead, they're all yeah. dead except Eddie Vedder and Courtney Love, and and it's like. So now it's like, you know, I go and see a band like Earth because I like Earth. But, you know, there's a level of, of like hero worship of people who go and see Earth because they're getting to see Dylan Carlson. And that's like as like up to the top tier as you can get, you know? And like, it's really not, that uh it's really not that it really hasn't been that long you know yeah and and, and it's strange and i think there's also then the other thing i was thinking about about our new era and our new way of living has been about how many people have used the death of monoculture and the rise of the internet to I'm going to explore all the new things and I'm going to go anywhere where I want, or I I'm going to find out about new experiences and, and about other people's experiences and how many people are lost in that system and maybe don't have those kinds of information literacies, those kinds of tools or self-consciously saying, no, I'm only going to get further into my whole or I'm going to go into the last save point, which was, you know, a band that had a really cool record 20, 30 or 40 years ago. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think, you know, I like memes. Yes. Yes. You have some it's great meme pages. I, I, um, really, uh, I say non-ironically when I when I meet people that my love language is memes. You know, yeah. I have uh, real full conversations with people, real full relationships with people who I don't uh, I don't talk to except the occasional lust meme. You know, and it's just my way of popping in and saying happy birthday or whatever. You know, but and I bring that up because. You know, at people, 
Well, there are now, I'm noticing now there are corporate, there are corporate plant memes. I don't know if you know about that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I, the most recent one was the Vin Diesel family meme, which like wasn't funny, mm-hmm. but it was like a clear corporate tie into fast, the, the new fast and furious film. Um, but really you can't, you know, memes are memes in their pure form are organic. Yeah. So like you can't put a meme on the radio. You know, it's just like something just pops up and then all of a sudden everybody knows it. You know, you can't own you can't own that stuff. Yeah. You know, and so like that is pretty cool. But then when it gets like you know, I don't know, I just can't I can't stand irony. Yeah. I don't have time for it. I think that's one of the things I lost with age. Same. And I think, you know, we came of age in that era. Um, I look at, again, working with young people a lot. I think about the, another concept I've been also thinking about is the way that people form protective identities. Right. That I, I can be this person publicly or online because I'm scared or I'm unsure of. And I think for our generation, especially irony was our protective identity. Right. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm 40 something now, I guess it's time to get over that shit and just be, be who and what I am. Or at least, I mean, for me, I think it took me three or four decades to figure that out. And once you figured that out, maybe that's that's where irony just goes away. Discovering ourselves, you know, I I I really think that when we, you know, when we stop discovering new things about ourselves, is when is when the death happens, you know, mm-hmm. when the, the soul happens, and so you know that that's when I go that's when I go back to thinking about, you know, those people that were my age at the face-to-face concert who, you know, for whatever reason are, you know, they look like they had melted. It's not because they had kids. It's not because, you know, this is their one night out of the year. It's because self that self discovery came to a close for them. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, I, I, that's what I, that's what I look out for, you know, so that's when we die. And, uh, and so, you know, I, you know, what I think is the most ironic thing, the the thing that I did out of the greatest irony ever, uh, when I think back on it, do you know the film Manos Hands of Fate? Yes. I have actually watched that without the mystery science theater element. Mm. I've actually watched the full unedited film. Wow. It's not a good movie. Um, It's not. And, and I did it just to say, well, it's the best episode of mystery science theater. So I'm going to watch this. Because, you know, I, I, I need to see it. I need to see the source material. 
you know just by watching that episode of that show that it's like the worst movie ever made yeah and so i i but i needed to give my 90 minutes to that i needed to give my 90 minutes to that that project you know um and i think about that line of thinking that matter of thinking a lot because who gives a shit if i don't watch that stupid movie (laughs) you know what am i i can't go i can't talk to you know what is that i can't put it on a job application i can't i can't impress a girl with that you know the best i can do is among other you know, the, the, the kind of cinephiles that I'm, you know, aligned with that, that like, you know, I, I, I get along well with other people who, you know, who understand that there are movies and there are films and both are good. Yeah. Both have their merits, but you know, maybe I can go, Oh yeah. I watched the unedited Manos hands of fate the other night once at a party and then they'll go why are you crazy and then that's the whole that's the whole story you know like that's the end date of it so like what the hell was the point of that yeah yeah i think about that a lot you know and i'll say so the the question yesterday in in class was icebreaker question what's the last good book you read oh wow and um the results were were surprising and some some you know it's maybe some i'm an english professor so maybe some folks were flexing um some folks were just not readers and you could tell that you know great gatsby is still part of the standard high school english class curriculum (laughs) You know, because that school district bought 500 trade paperback copies or not a mass market paperback copies of Gatsby. And that's the book they teach because they invested that money, Um, which is fine. It's a good book. And then in the middle of that, I had a young lady who was like, oh, God, this is so shameful. Oh, I'm so, oh, God. Oh, I don't. Uh, and she goes and reaches into her purse. She's like, I was in the bookstore yesterday and I just needed something. And she pulls out a, the new Nicholas Sparks. Oh, who, I, I don't know who that is. Uh, he, so he writes, like, I think it was The Notebook and oh. other sort of like sappy American nostalgic romance books. Right. It's like it's the 20th century and it's true. It's our grandparents' generation's true love kind of kind of stuff that he writes. Oh boy. Yeah. And I was just like, and she was like, apologize. I was like, man, I know this sucks. Uh, and it was like, I mean, what I said to her was, and it goes back to the thing there are, there are movies and there are films. You know, I was like, yeah, okay, it's a cheesy poof. I like a cheesy poof. You know, there's also the $75 a plate celebrity chef chef restaurant meal. That's really good, too. I pity the person who who enjoys one and can't enjoy the other. Right. Well, there you go. (laughs) And though I will say, if you only try to live on cheesy poofs, you would die of some weird malnutrition disease that science hasn't discovered yet. 
did you hear about the, that Vice documentary about the guy that can, because of food trauma when he was younger, can only eat Kraft macaroni and cheese? I did watch that. I have gone through periods in my life where I was probably two or three steps away from where that guy is. Yeah, same. Uh, and, and I still have, you know, I still have eating habits that are like, wow, that's that's fucking disgusting. <laughs> You know, like, you know, I, I, I recently had to, um, I had my first physical er, earlier this year and the doctor was like, Hey, you're doing really good. You're doing really good. But listen, you know, the blood sugar is an issue mm -hmm. and you know, the sodium is an issue. And I, I, I didn't know. And now I'm telling everybody that uh the that the sucralose aspartame all that stuff is actually worse for your blood sugar yeah it's, it's your blood sugar more than sugar does and so i was walking around drinking eight sugar-free monsters a day thinking i'm good because i'm drinking the diet shit not knowing it was actually exacerbating the problem so i cut out all soda and i cut out all uh a lot of sodium and um and I've my health has improved immeasurably since then. Um, like it was just literally just like stop fucking around now. Um, I'm like, oh, okay, great. Um, but uh, you know, like, God, what the hell? How the hell did I get on this about? Uh, we were talking about cheesy poofs culture. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The diet of my diet has been has been terrible. I did a tour a couple years ago where I was like, I was depressed about some stuff. This is 2019. And I or it was when the, the tour we played together in uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Air monster. And I, I was really bummed out about a lot of stuff. And I was like, I'm going to eat a chicken fried steak in every city I go to. And I'm just going to find, find out where the best chicken fried steak in America is. And, and let me tell you something like, that's really bad for you. Yeah. Um, that kind of, that kind of mission. And I can, you know, and like, but like I get this thing and I'm learning about like, we are, you know, we're creatures of habit, you know, because of past trauma or whatever else. And, and we like, so I can eat the same thing every day for years because it's comforting. You know, and so I'm only now like learning how to break out of that stuff. But like I watched that video of that guy eating, you know, and they were like, look at this crazy bastard. And I'm like, I don't think it's that crazy. Like. It's no, abnormal, yeah. but like, you know, go ahead. No, I'm I mean, I'm I'm with you in the same place. And I, I in some ways. You're right. Chalking up to trauma. I thought it was neural pruning, but you're probably right about the trauma thing. Well, in that, like, for me, it's just like, I, I eat almost the same thing for breakfast every day. And at least for me, because I also have blood sugar issues, um, at least I try to make my comfort meals now vegetable based. Yeah. Rather than sweet based or carb based. Uh, but yeah, like in, a, in this household, it Tuesdays is tostada day, tostada Tuesdays. And I just know that, like, I can put 
ground turkey, taco seasoning, and two thirds of that plate is vegetables and refried and homemade refried beans. And it's just like Tuesday is this. No matter what happens, Tuesday tostadas. It's going to be okay. Yeah, and then you know that's the other side of it is like you know are we all have habits. Yeah. It's like are your are your habits acts of self violence you know violence against yourself or are they uh, you know are they like you know things that are actually sustaining because like it's funny to think of now even before I I was you know changing you know even before this scare the other day for the last several years. Um, I have eaten a bowl of kale at night for, for several years now, probably since about 2017, I just literally steam a bowl of kale at night with whatever I eat. And I make sure I eat that because, you know, kale is like, there's no, there's no gaming that it's, it's, it is gnarly, you know, and it like, you know, it is, it, it is a vegetable. There is no dressing that up as anything else. Like, yeah. Um, but you know, the funny thing is my, you know, my body after not too much time, my body is like, all right, where's the kale? Mm. You know, like I can be going like, Oh, right. And sometimes I don't have it. Or sometimes I couldn't get to the store, you know, and there's a night where I don't have it and I feel different. But then the other side of that for me, as someone who's gone through all of this neurosis with food, um, the other side of it to me is like, if if it's not like if I don't get my kale one night, I can't sleep or I have to go, you know, I have to go steal a bag of kale, you know, or I have to, you know, and these were very real concerns for me when I was, you know, when I was younger, you know, if I couldn't eat, if I couldn't have exactly the cheeseburger that i was expecting you know and it like ruins relationships and everything else so it's a matter of forming healthy habits yeah you know and and like for you know i think for you as as long as you know as long as you and your partner are happy with you know are comfortable with tuesdays are tostada night then i don't think you're really causing any harm you know, I, I, I think, you know, as long as both of you are like, you know, this works for us, I think, yeah. you're doing, you know, yeah. And I think, though, that was after for both of us years of falling into patterns and habits that weren't healthy. I mean, I guess that's the other that's the other part of the theme of this conversation, which is maybe not what we set out to talk about. But, you know, maybe more than ever, because of the death of the monoculture we are all on our own. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, there's that meme of a girl on a shoreline dancing, speaking of memes and the, and behind this, behind her is, is the twin towers. And it was like the world you were raised to grow up in no longer exists. You, you know, I was told as as a kid and part of my neurosis comes from from this too i was told 
my mother, her message was, my mother never got over not being wealthy. Mm. She was a, she was raised by hardworking people who made very good money Mm. and um, they didn't send her to college because of her drinking problem Mm. as a teenager. And they, um, uh, and then she had a child when she was 19. And I, and I think she never got over not being wealthy. Mm. So when I was getting ready to, uh, to go to school, she was, and my school was paid for my grandparents, you know, they were not, it's funny because my grandmother, my grandmother says, sends me a card every, every Christmas and birthday and like, like clockwork and my, both my grandmothers do, but my grandmother, you know, that side of the family, she doesn't send anything. She doesn't send a gift, any money, but she sends a card to say, Merry Christmas. I love you. My other grandmother sends, sends money twice a year. And it's not much, you know, yeah. and so it's like, it's interesting because they were, they, you know, they had money and, and are deeply frugal with it, you know? And so, you know, but like when things matter and when you needed stuff, she, uh, you know, they come through. Um, I have to send this text message really quick. No problem. Uh, I, you know, I, yeah. Older people with money. I mean, my dad was somebody like that. My dad, and of course, my dad was born in February of 1930. So his formative years was were, were the Depression. Right. And so his, I mean, I, you know, the story I tell about my dad and his mania and his the pattern that he fell into that he couldn't think his way out of was. We had in our household in the 80s and 90s, I mean, easily my dad probably had, I know he had two checking accounts, probably each of those accounts probably had 50 grand in them. Yeah. But when when the toaster broke and the toaster that broke that my dad bought Probably when he moved into the house I grew up in in 1954, when that toaster broke, you know, what are your choices? You could go to the Kmart and plop down probably less than $10 on a new Proctor Silex. You could, if you wanted to fix the toaster and and it was the, the power cord had the cloth insulation on it. Again, this was cloth insulation on a power cord on a toaster that sat to no more than two feet from our kitchen sink. Yeah. Um, You could, I guess, go to the hardware store and for, I think less than $2 buy a few feet of lamp cord and a bolt on plug. Or, and this is what my dad did. He went because he worked for IBM and they had a storeroom of supplies for people like my dad who fixed giant supercomputers that you had to crawl into at the time to fix. And you could get a free roll of electrical tape and you could spend an autumn Sunday watching NFL football 
stripping the two wires for the toaster, rewrapping them individually in electrical tape, and then wrapping them together so they were double insulated in electrical tape. Again, for the toaster that sat no more than two feet from our kitchen sink. Right, <laughs> right. And that's, that's how he lived. That's what he did. That was the reasonable choice. I mean, we had cars that were unsafe to, to, to ride in as a kid. Right. Because you never knew when all of that money was going to go away or the ability to have money was going to go away. And so that was his mania. And he certainly also had weird attitudes about food. But again, I'm sure there were times when he was, you know, six that maybe he didn't have food security. Right. You know, where it's, it's like, yeah, it, you know, there's things that are, you know, happen to our, I, I see now that there are things that happen to our parents that, you know, get handed down to us. Um, and, it's it's uh it's wild to um it's sort of wild to see it happening you know yeah and i think it's also well it's that philip larkin poem this be the verse they fuck you up your mom and dad they don't mean to but they do they fill you with all the faults they had and some special just for you. That's the first verse of that poem. Um, right. And it's also, you know, at some point this fall, I will say to my freshmen, because I have two classes full of freshmen, you know, this is the beginning of the lifelong journey that is figuring out your childhood. Say that again. This is the beginning, this semester, this fall semester away from home is the beginning of the lifelong journey that is figuring out your childhood. It's wild. And I, I can say that for me is I, I had a random access memory of something that, yeah, happened 35 years ago this morning. And I was like, wow, I haven't thought about that. I haven't thought about that person or that situation. And thinking about it now, I was like, wow, I understand. I immediately understand this now way more than when it happened. Way more than when it happened. Right. And it's like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> um, it's amazing how things pop up. Yeah. Um, uh I was just, you know, I was just in a session. I, I, I see a spiritual coach now. Mm. I don't know if you know that. No, no. I've been doing that for about two years. Cool. Uh, I, uh, about two years ago, I was like, you know what? I've been doing all this other stuff. Um, I've been you know, making all these other advances and like, I'm still miserable. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, I don't like that. There is not enough happiness in my life. So I do this thing, you know, and, uh, 
you know, I, I, I do this thing. And, and I was just in a, I was just in a session with her before we got on the phone. And, you know, I, <laughs> we were talking about something and, and this stuff from when I was like 11 popped up, you know, and it's, it's, you know, the, you know, regarding the abuse in my home. Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to have to, to argue to be allowed to take a bath. And so now I'm an adult and maybe I don't, uh, maybe now I'm an adult and maybe I don't change clothes as often as one ought to, you know, I don't put as much care into bathing as I ought to. And I, and I, I go, I had this revelation where it's like, you know, she mentioned that to me. And then I go like, Oh, Holy shit. Like that explains all of this. It all opened up all at once. And all this memory bubbled right back up to the surface. And, you know, I, I can't go. I can't go back to 1991 and kick that guy's ass, you know? And like, I can't even go to where he lives in Michigan and kick his ass. I haven't seen him in 20 years, you know, 20 plus years. Yeah. I actually don't have any family in that town anymore in that even region anymore. So, you know, I couldn't even find him if I wanted to, and I don't know what the hell I would say to him if I, if I did, you know, but it's like, it's funny that it's just like, you know, things just pop up out of nowhere and all of a sudden you're living in them again. Yeah, it is strange. And, and one of the other things that I've, I, I, that still haunt me and I bring this up in class sometimes when we think about history in the past and the theme for my honors course honors freshman literature course and writing course is memory and revision. And have you seen the British life on Mars series? No, it's definitely worth checking out. It's um, there's an episode. Basically, the premise is this guy, he's a cop in Manchester. It's 2000 something. I think he gets hit by a car and he wakes up in 1973. And there's this incredible tension throughout the series. Is he hallucinating? Is he dead? Is he a time traveler? That's part of it. There's also this tension of here's a guy with 21st century sensibilities living in the past and thinking about how the culture has radically changed and how England has radically changed. Right. And then there's this other tension because in real life, he's four years old in 1973. Right. And so he bumps into himself several times and he bumps into his parents several times. And there's one episode in particular where he rounds a corner and he realizes, oh, this is the street I grew up in. Or at least we lived here for a few years. Right. And he makes the the horrible mistake that I think we would all make. And he goes and knocks on the door. Oh. Yeah. And his mom answers. And the childhood pet that he had is, is there, his cat. 
And in the process, he finds out about all of these messed up things that his parents were into. And I remember we watched that one winter break. You know, it was just, it was cold. It was snowing. It was like, oh, somebody brought Lena, lent us these DVDs. We can just totally binge Life on Mars. And I remember Danelle and I both at the end of that video or at the end of that episode, we paused and we looked at each other and was like, man, if we ended up in our hometowns in 1983, what would we find out about our parents' lives? You know, I, I've driven through those towns. I've driven by that, that house, specifically the one that I went to middle and high school in. I don't know if I've told you, I've now actually lived in my current apartment longer than I've lived in any other place. Oh, wow. No, I, yeah. you did not. Eight and a half years. I, I, I got evicted from my last apartment and I, I found a really good deal. And I've lived here since 2013. And I only lived in the, the home I lived in as a child uh, the longest from 1990 to 97. So a little over seven years. But I drive by that house. The, uh, you know, the, the funny thing that time stretches the way it does as we grow up um, because uh, those years were interminable when I was in them. And yet these years here in this apartment have been longer and they have flown by. Yeah. Um, you know, but I've driven by that, that house. I've driven by that property. Uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't look like, you know, to drive by, it doesn't look like terrible people live there. Yeah. You know, it doesn't look like a miserable family lives there and it doesn't look like a miserable family ever lived there. Yeah. That's the house where my mother carved the word dick into a freshly painted wall with a key. Uh, wow. You know, that he tried to paint over, but it never really worked. And so they hung a picture over it. Um, you know, and so it's one of those, like I go, I go and drive past the places that I lived. Yeah. I drive past those houses and I go like, wow, this wasn't, this isn't, what hell looks like yeah and so i never have that oh gosh i never have that could i go back to to 1983 on a similar a similar fantasy uh is um the uh the vonnegut you've read the vonnegut novel time quake the years ago the premise well he he says in the foreword that the the it was a very bad novel he was writing and so it's it's only part of the book um but only the good parts are in it but the premise is all of the world hits a hits a rift and everybody gets sent back everything gets sent back 10 years mm. everybody has to do exactly what they did you know, they're powerless to do anything different over the prior 10 years. Mm. And, and so it's just this, like, everyone has to live those memories over. Um, and, and like, you know, so it's like when everybody snaps back out of it, they've gotten so apathetic by 
by a certain point that there's a bunch of car accidents and because they've all just gone on autopilot, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. cause nobody wants to do that either. Like, so yeah, the, the whole, the whole going back in time, I, I, I want to move forward in time, but I'm, I may check that out. That actually sounds pretty cool. It is uh, pretty cool and it's fun. And then the third series switches protagonist um, and it's called Ashes to Ashes, and it happens in the 80s. She okay. goes back, the, the cop goes back to the 80s, and there's some of the same characters, and then there's this question of, are, are these, is the one character like this sort of spiritual guide, guardian angel of police officers in trouble or something. It's, it, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating series. Don't watch the American version because it got shut down mid season and has okay. perhaps one of the stupidest endings. Any ser- television series has ever had. Okay. Um, nope. But yeah, I, I think about the two. I mean, I haven't been back to the town I grew up in since 2000. That's in um, New Jersey. That's in New Jersey. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the, the Danelle's parents lost the house that she grew up in. And there's that genuine thought of like, maybe we'll never ever see that property again. Maybe we, we can Google it. We can look on Zillow every time it's for sale or something. Um. The two places we lived in after college are both gone. The buildings are both, those houses have both been knocked down. Um, yeah, it, it, it is a weird thought. And I get that feeling of, yeah, the horrible people didn't live there. That wasn't the worst time in somebody's life. Uh, I had this unique experience uh, this spring I got to do a virtual reading at my alma mater. Oh, wow. Because my book was out and yeah, you know, I had friends in the faculty and they were like, yeah, could you zoom in and read some poems from the book? And, you know, and I read all of, all of my St. Francis poems. And I have one about my freshman year roommate. And he moved his side piece into the room and they were in the top bunk. And there was this one. I mean, she just moved in. They didn't ask. They didn't, you know, it was just, oh, my my not girlfriend. um, Basketball groupie, whatever, lives here now with us in this, you know, eight by six room or something. And yeah. And it was the night to the Dave Matthews band song Satellite that I heard, I think he's asleep, which it totally woke me up. And then they started to fuck in the top bunk. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, just they thought he thought so little of me. And that added bonus, he died at 31. And so I wrote this poem called Satellite about all of these memories in this moment. And I mentioned the dorm room number. And in the discussion afterwards, that poem brought up and I was like, yeah, you know, and this kid says, I'm in that room right now. Oh, holy shit. In the chat. And I was like, dude, you got to turn your camera on. (laughs) And he did. and, And the room looks 
it's a cinder block little room with 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 dorm furniture in it and posters and yeah i guess that the his professor is like could you send me the the poem so that he could read it in class the next day and it was this like big deal for everybody like oh man i know where that room is i'm in that room and for me it was like i didn't want to say like man i had some of the worst absolute worst times of my life in that room <laughs> Yeah, yeah <laughs> because yeah. it had become really special for them yeah that's 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 real um so it's all about our own personal experiences you know and, and yeah. places there was a that you know there was a club here called the sidewalk cafe called i it was called the sidewalk bar and restaurant everybody called it the sidewalk cafe um i called it the sidewalk bar and restaurant because uh, that was what the name on the sign said. Um, but, you know, they're, the prevailing idea, you know, the prevailing, you know, attitude about the place was that, you know, somebody put, the, put it the most eloquently to me in like 2005, my friend Barry said, there are just places in the world where the energy comes together and it calls people to go in and, and to, to meet there. And the sidewalk is like that. Mm. And the sidewalk is one of those places. And I believed that. And I actually, I still believe that. But, you know, what happens is a place with that kind of energy, you know, it's only sustainable for so long. Yeah. No. And so what it's only sustainable when, you know, hundreds of, you know, or when, how, when the people are putting that energy into it, you know, or putting, you know, like we are going to make this, keep this a sacred place. And then what happens is, um, uh, you know, what happens is it, it changes, T times change, things change. And so by the time the sidewalk closed in 2019, it was not a place where people, you know, it was just a bar where people hung out. Yeah. You know, yeah. Still had the open mic and there were still people doing things there, but it wasn't, you know, I had fallen out with it, with the whole, with the whole thing a long time prior because I expected it to feel like it felt in 2004, in 2005. Yeah, yeah. And it really hadn't after like 2011 or 12. You know, it wasn't only the last Booker's fault. You know, it was a lot of things, but I, I, you know, I expected it to keep meaning the same thing to me. And the truth is, the truth is that energy, good or bad, is really between people. Yeah. My... My dad told me, you know, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of back and forth between my two parents, but my dad told me that, you know, when Christian people live in a house, it makes the house, it gives the house a kinder energy. Mm. And, you know, they... Christian people are as capable of violence as non-Christian people. It's, it's bullshit on a stick. I'm yeah. sorry. But like, they really believed that, that the three of them, you know, 
their energy together would make their house, you know, warmer for the next person. And, you know, the truth is that energy is just carried between people. You know, the next person that moved into your dorm room didn't know that happened. You know, like the next person that moved into my dorm room in college didn't know all the stuff that I went through in my first year. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Actually, I do know the next people who moved in uh, were these two stoner rich kids who had a bunny. And they didn't cage the bunny. And so the entire dorm room was the bunny cage. Oh, God. And sometime maybe in January, they, they stopped even the pretense of going to class and just hung out in that room and smoked pot all day. And this bunny just, you know, pissed and shat everywhere. And they invited people into their dorm room to graffiti whatever they wanted. I mean, I guess they wanted a bathroom and CBGB's vibe. Right. <laughs> and so my friend the next year, one of my roommates, one of the two college roommates I had to kick out, um, got a job working for physical plant and they were cleaning out the dorm rooms and they were re making repairs over the summer. And they got to that floor of that hall and they had so that people could work elsewhere in that building had to tape plastic over the doorway to keep the smell out. Oh. And at the end of one day, they drew straws and the straws were the person who was going to have to go through the plastic, unlock the door, run into the room, open the window. And then run back out of the room, slam the door shut and tape the plastic over again so that the room could air out as they were working on the rest of the rooms in that dorm and they would take care of that room last. And they, uh, they actually had to replace all the furniture, the carpet, the light fixture, the closet doors and the switch plate covers and repaint everything in that room. So that room was thoroughly purged after, after within a year of my moving out of it. That is horrifying. Yes. You know, we were, there's something I want to circle back around to uh, because we were talking about the monoculture and you mentioned the word noise at the beginning of this call. Yes. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I want to just, we've talked some about noise in person and I bet we've talked about it on this, on this thing, the other times I've been on. Yeah. But uh I, I think the idea of the monoculture and noise, there's an interesting juxtaposition between the two. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I got into noise and we've talked about those Mersbo records before I got into noise because I needed a, a, a sound that would make conscious thought impossible mm. Dealing with deaths in my family. And I put on a, um, I put on Pulse Demon. The Mer I have Pulse Demon I, on vinyl now. I'm really happy that I, ha I, I can tell. I know enough about noise that I can hear the difference between the remastered vinyl version of Pulse Demon and the original CD issue. Oh, wow. I can really hear it. Uh, it's night and day. And I bet you when I five years ago, it wouldn't have been the case. But 
you know, there's something that has come up for me in listening to tons of noise and in um, making my own now, um, you know, there's no second performance of any of the stuff. Yeah. Of any of it, like by definition, there's no second performance. And so, you know, I don't know how it works with Mersbo. I was just considering um, the idea of listening to the entire Mersbo catalog, not actually considering doing it, but considering the idea mm. of, of listening um, to that entire discography from beginning to end. And I, I'm not going to do it. Uh, cause there's some real garbage in that he's made some real garbage ass records. Yeah. But there's some that are transcendent. Um, so I, I was, I've been considering, does he just release everything he records? Ooh. Stuff that's even crappy. That's even like crappy enough that even he is like, I'm not going to do this, you know, like, you know, so I, I there's got to be a filter, but I wonder where the filter is. And so a lot of noise making is like practicing by going, OK, I've got these instruments. I know what these are going to do and I'm going to record it and then like record it a few times. And then when they get one they really like, that's what you put out, you know. Yeah, I, that's a good question. So my monoculture experience with Mersbo, have I told you my Mers, first time listening to Mersbo experience? Said you had to run out and douse yourself with snow. Yes, it was. But I was, and what a dumb thing to think at 24 years old, 23 years old. I thought I had heard it all. Right. I thought I'd literally heard, you know, there was, again, there was the monoculture and I had a subscription to CMJ New Music Monthly, which was like, that's everything else. Right. And I had really hit this wall. Like, I didn't know about the good record stores here in Pittsburgh yet. I didn't, I didn't make friends here yet with people who were just knowledgeable that I could learn from. And so I rather stupidly, and it profoundly depressed me. I, was like, I had heard all, I've heard all the music. I heard it. I mean, uh, you know, that that band Joy Division. I know about it. Nick Drake. Know about it. Nothing else. Um, and a friend from home came to visit and he had gotten into electronic music. And uh, we were just going through the giant booklet of binder binder booklet of CDs that he had in his car. And he had Toro Machine. Oh, that's the one. Yes. Oh. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, oh, that's that's noise. It's not really for everybody. And yeah, I almost, I mean, we listened to Cannibalism of Machine. Uh, I remember my stereo at the time, the volume slider only went from zero to 10. <laughs> and it was on one and it was overwhelming. Yeah. It was overwhelmingly loud at one. And it was February and it was snowing and I had to go outside. I was like, oh, the dog's got to go out <laughs> as soon as it was over. Because I was getting that hot tunnel vision, I'm going to pass out feeling. Right. 
And I had to go and I was like, I'm letting the dog out. And we went out in the backyard and I just went over to the garbage cans. I was just wearing a t-shirt and pants. And I was just grabbing snow off the garbage pant cans and grinding it into my arms so I could shock myself into consciousness. And that was such a wonderful transcendent experience. I need to write a poem about that. My poetry is about if I could tell it as a story and I tell it as a story a lot, it pr should probably be a poem. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I consciously started listening to that stuff so I could, um, so I could have that ex a similar experience to that. There was a point wherein I was putting on the grindiest of, grindiest of harsh noise to go to sleep at night you know just like the loudest thing i could find wow played at soft volumes because it would grind me to sleep and you know <laughs> that's really saying something it was a meditative thing before it was anything yeah. else yeah so you know sometimes we just want a different experience Yes. Or we need a different experience. I mean, it allowed me to listen to the music that I liked before. It just, it created this discursive space. It excited me. Um, it excited me that something could, music could actually still make me feel something so profound, even if it was something so profoundly unpleasant. Um, there used to be a group, an experimental music group here in Pittsburgh called the Eclectic Laboratory Chamber Orchestra. And the first time I saw them perform, somebody threw up. Wow. That was exciting. I was like, wow, that made somebody puke. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. And I was like, that's so cool. You know? I mean, and they had to like stop the. It was right in the front row. They had to stop the performance and kind of somebody had to go get a mop. Right. Um, this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And just the thought that that you know we could have that kind of space, we could have that different kind of energy, <sighs> kind of makes you wonder what people a hundred years from now are going to have to do. <laughs> From. Something worse than eating Tide Pods, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Something worse than either. I mean, and they'll still be so still be the Wonderwall meme, probably. They'll probably still be Wonderwall a hundred years in the future. Right. It will will Wonderwall be the Camp Town races races of 2120. <laughs> you know, you know what I realized recently is that, you know, it, speaking of memes that never die, um, if, if I want to make the post on April 20th, 2069, where I just say nice, um, I, would, I will be almost 90 years old. Um, wow. <laughs> so I'm not hedging my bets that I'll get to do that. Um, but if I am, I promise you now on this podcast that I will. Um, um, I'm going to have to peel off momentarily and, and get ready for work. Um, Can we do a bottom five real quick? Let's do a bottom five. Bottom five. Question one. 
What's the strangest item you have eaten and or found in your stool? <laughs> strangest item I have eaten. Uh, it was, can I give you something that was delicious that was still strange? Yeah, absolutely. There's no rules. When I was in outside of Girona in Spain. There's a restaurant. I wish I knew the name of it, but first of all, the, the, in Spain, they eat pork not so much with every meal as for every meal. Mm. And uh, I fucking love that. I love that attitude. Um, they do pork in these incredible ways. Um, but uh, escargot with chorizo uh, in like a spicy tomato broth I had in outside of Girona and that's the strangest thing because you could see the faces on the snails. Ooh. All right. Question two, what mundane daily activity gives you the most joy? <laughs> um, honestly, like if I, it, uh, pooping, but specifically if I can poop at work, Nice. Yeah. Question three. What's your least favorite month? Ooh. We're in it. August. It's hot as balls. It's been hot as balls for a while. Um, there are no holidays. Uh, everybody's just mad. And we're like, come on, let it be October already. Feel you. Question four. What historical event you wish you could have witnessed? I hate to, I, I really hate to do concerts because there's more to me than just like liking. Yeah. Nope. I'm going to go for it. I have been thinking about my, uh, my, my autobiography, you know, true things in my memoir. I was not allowed to go to Lollapalooza 94. Mm. And, and it was, I can't remember if they thought that it was going to be different than any average concert or there were going to be more drugs there, or there was going to be something, but it was, you are not going to Lollapalooza. Oh. And, and that was the year. If you look back at that lineup, the Detroit show was palace guided by voices on the B thousand tour. Um, Nick cave and the bad seeds, the beastie boys, the boredoms, it was it's 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 fucking shit house. Like how crazy that lineup was, of things that line up with my taste now. Mm. And I am convinced my mother was still alive. She would say, "Well, I did you a favor then." But I'm convinced that if I, in an alternate timeline, when I had been allowed to go to that show, I might have got it all out of my system. Mm. And I might not be doing this today. Yeah. And, and I have a happy life, um, but I wonder what would be on the other side of that coin. All right. Last question. If you could choose, would you prefer to be able to move through time or space without human limitations? Space. Space. Yeah. All right. I think that's about it. Our next episode will eventually happen and it will be about something.
Our homepage where you can find new and old episodes is going to die podcast.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, and Mixcloud. Follow us on Twitter at, at Gonna Die Podcast, and we're all going to die is on Facebook. Thank you, Brooke Pridemore. This, this is a great conversation. I, I, I really cherish every time we get to talk to one another. Same, man. Same. You know, this, is a, this has been a good time. Uh, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Later, Meets. Talk to you soon. Bye.